Hello and welcome to My Camino, the podcast. I was actually reading Jules Verne's Around the World in 80 Days last Christmas. I only found it again this week and noticed a yellow sticky stuck in the pages and I'd highlighted a passage, as a good researcher should. And Jules Verne wrote, Phileas Fogg, having shut the door of his house at half past seven and having put his right foot before his left 575 times and his left foot before his right 576 times, reached the Reform Club. Walking. And this is a podcast about the many journeys that make up the Camino de Santiago. The most famous and traditional route is the Camino Francis. And I hope one day to walk the Camino del Norte, the North Road. And I heard recently from an Australian pilgrim, Lexi Connors. She wrote to me from the Camino del Norte, and I thought we should touch base with someone who has walked the North Road. Lexi's on the line from Santiago de Compostela. Let's start with a bit of homework. Hi, Lexi. (laughs) Hi, Dan. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. Where is home? Tell my listeners, where is home? I live in Bronte in Sydney, so just um, just south of Bondi Beach, uh, around six kilometres from the CBD. And you are a surfer? Yes, <laughs> I am. I, um, I'm a surf instructor by, um, you know, just for fun on the side. Um, and I actually was fortunate enough to go surfing in, uh, in Spain whilst I've been walking, but we'll talk about that later. Um, but, uh, it's not my main, um, workforce, uh, work in tourism actually. Oh, okay. Tourism. There's a, you're being, being a surfer, having that kind of connection with the ocean, I suppose there's Hmm. a kind of serenity about that lifestyle, a spirituality, if you like, that comes with a life lived by the ocean isn't there oh absolutely absolutely it's uh definitely the one of the reason well the main reason why i chose to walk the northern way um i i it is definitely my safe place it's my haven i <laughs> i adore the ocean and i certainly look to it for reflection answers and peace Absolutely. And, and so that was my next question. Why the Camino del Norte? Did you, do you remember how you first heard about the Camino and, and, and then later ch- decided to choose that coastal route? Yes. Um, I have to say Elsa Piper is a huge inspiration. So um, I'm very pleased to hear your interview with her. Um, yes, I arrived in Spain four years ago for the first time and I actually bought her book to learn a bit more about Spain. And once I started reading, I was like, oh, this isn't about Spain at all. This is about walking. Why have I bought this book about walking? How ridiculous. What is she doing? She's a mad woman. Um, and then once I read it, I absolutely fell in love with it and thought, wow, this is so unreal. I can't think of any other country where this is, um, so I guess easy, um, to get around. Um, so that was, that kind of, I guess, planted the seed. Um, and I turned 30 this year. So I guess I thought I, I really wanted to challenge myself and, um, and I thought that becoming 30, that would be a nice way to challenge myself. Um, and of course, yeah, as I said, I chose the North because I, I, 
I heard it was a challenging route and, of course, it's near the ocean and I had grand plans of surfing along the way, <laughs> if possible. You made mention there of Ailsa Piper and those listeners who perhaps mm. don't know what Lexi's talking about, Ailsa wrote a book called Sinning Across Spain where she carried the sins of friends and family in a sense much like they did in the Middle Ages, uh, hoping to leave those sins on the Camino de Santiago, Sinning Across Spain, an outstanding book. And I was lucky enough to, mm. to interview Elsa and her co-author, Tony uh, Doherty, and they have written another book called The Attachment, which is based on their friendship and based on a common love of, of the Camino as well. So, and Elsa's a fantastic person too, Lexi. She's just yeah. absolutely oh. delightful. She's just a, a <laughs> she is fantastic. So had you heard yeah. then, uh, uh, you, you read obviously Elsa's uh, book and you heard about the spirituality of the Camino mm. and, and that, that great energy. Tell us about mm. your experience then on, on the Camino del Norte. Yes, it was um, very interesting. Now that I can reflect on having walked the Primitivo um, and obviously out to uh, Finisterre and Muxia as well, comparing the the two, the Norte is very, very different. It, uh, I guess I would say it doesn't have the same spiritual vibe, if I can. Um, I noticed suddenly on the Primitivo there was absolutely this this juju that you speak of. Yeah. <laughs> definitely, definitely. On the Norte, it, it felt from the beginning like people were just there to walk and they were walking and there wasn't so much of um, what you would expect. Um, but as you as kept going and, um, you know, you, you start to build more relationships with others, you can you can start to really understand why you're here. But the very first day that I started walking, I just knew in my stomach this is meant to be. I'm meant to be here. There, there is there is an energy here. I don't know what it is. I don't know what it means. But um, yeah, it, it's definitely there, and you, you can feel the uh, the history of of the many many pilgrims who have walked before. Um, yeah, you may have heard that there is a lot of concrete or highway on the Northern Way, which is true, um, but not always. There are some really nice rugged sections as well, which really allow you to connect a lot more. So, yeah, it's it's going to take me probably years to really fully understand each Camino, but the the, nor, the Norte, I really... It was just so special for me because I am such a lover of the ocean. Yeah, yeah. So, so let's get to the nuts and bolts of it. Uh, when, mm-hmm. when, when did you start? I started on the 11th of June. And how many days did you walk? In total, 32. Uh, and was it very busy, the Norte? Uh, no. <laughs> I walked alone every single day. <laughs> oh, really? Um, yeah. Not, I mean, not for the entire day. I think I walked, you know, I'd probably start alone and then I would maybe find someone um, halfway down or five kilometres towards the end. I don't know why, Dan. It's very strange. I don't know whether this was like I was meant to 
I don't know, reflector or something. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know, but th- this this was my experience. Yeah. And um, or or maybe I'd start with someone, and then you know we would separate throughout the day. Um, because it felt like quite a lot of the people on the Norte were perhaps not walking the whole way, or they were just walking a small section. Sure. So maybe um, Irun to Bilbao, say. So you you would maybe meet them for a day and then they were leaving the next day. So it was hard to, yeah, you, you, to meet me. You mentioned this earlier. I want to go back to what you just said then, but, but you wrote to me, mm. uh, you said to me earlier and you wrote to me after one of my podcasts helped you through a tough asphalt mm. section. And So how much of the Camino <laughs> del Norte is asphalt? How much is softer underfoot, would you suggest? Oh, oh wow. Uh, a lot, a lot. I'm not going to lie. I think there, there are, uh, I'd have to really have a look back because it all just is blurring into one memory now. Yeah. But um, <laughs> there is a lot. It's probably, I wouldn't dare to say 50%, but it is it is surprisingly high. And not just um, pavement like you would on a footpath, like actual highway. So you're walking like with cars, you know, flying yeah, past you. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, the, there is a, a mix of concrete, but yeah. concrete nonetheless. There, 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 yeah. are part, there are parts of um, the Camino Francis where you walk along the highway that are particularly challenging, mm. really hard work. Mm. Really hard work, and mm. I, I don't wear, um, I don't listen to music when I walk. So you just, mm. you know, I'm singing as loud as I possibly can to try and <laughs> stay sane in my head. Um, yeah, so let's yeah. talk about some of the journey. San Sebastian to Guion is, I'm told, is beautiful. Mm, yes, absolutely. Um, very scenic. <laughs> I, I started in San Sebastian. I didn't go to Guillaume because I was diverting down to the Primitivo, so I left from Sobrayo. Um, that's where I left the Norte. It's, um, I think it's a really special section, and if anyone was wanting to just have a taste, that's a, I think even just San Sebastian to Bilbao is a really great taste of the North because you have some really... A, you've got some really beautiful cities. It's not all rural towns um, and there are still quite a lot of stopping points along the way um, and particularly nice beaches, you know. So yeah. um, if you're if you're into, into swimming, um, you know, you could really walk a few K, go for a swim, walk again, maybe go for another swim. You know, it is, it is technically possible. Um, for me, I was pushing quite um, – I was doing quite big distances, but uh, I still, yeah, made the time to take a dip every now and then. Um, I think Bilbao is, is, is definitely is, is worthwhile because you've got so much cultural, um, history, you know, historical things going on that you've got the Guggenheim as well and, um, of course, all of those amazing restaurants. Um, and I'll try not to talk about food too much as well because the food <laughs> on the Norte is honestly incredible. Well, that's my next question. Um, you wouldn't believe that. <laughs> you wouldn't believe that. I've got written go. here, what about food and wine, dot, 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 a, a question mark. So t- tell us about it. <laughs> Oh, so good. <laughs> so good. Um, well, obviously, there's a lot of seafood. So if you're interested in seafood, you'll really love it, but not all. Um, it's uh, It was really amazing because we're going through so many different, um, I guess you would call them states, um, you know, through Asturias and um, 
and the Basque country. Uh, and I mean, there's a lot of delicacies that I probably wouldn't see on the menu. So I would kind of stick to the menu del dias, which I'd never had before in my life. I don't usually eat three course meals yeah. for lunch and, you know, every day. So it was a really nice treat, but you know, 11 euros, whole bottle of wine, um, you know, entree main dessert. And each one was just fresh ingredients, um, beautifully cooked. And yeah, I really couldn't have asked for better. And I've had dessert every single day. I'm telling you now, <laughs> every single day. I actually got a nickname. Can you believe this, Dan? I got a nickname. My nickname was Choco Lexi. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. Choco Lexi. Now listen, Choco-Lexi. I love it. That's fantastic. And, and someone wrote to me, you talked about the seafood. Someone wrote to me once talking about uh-huh. the little fishing villages, apparently. They are absolutely yes. beautiful. Very beautiful, yes. And um, not just that. I mean, you've, of course, you, there are other, other things as well. It's not just seafood. I mean, of course, you will have known there are more Michelin star restaurants in San Sebastian than there are, in, you know, in the world. There, there, it's a... So it's a haven for good food. So um, if you've got a, a reasonably sized budget, you could really <laughs> you could really do some damage there. So so let's talk about budget then. We talk mm-hmm. uh, sometimes about you know twenty five, thirty, maybe forty euro can get you across the Camino Frances. How does the Camino del Norte uh, compare with that? Ah, I. I'm not exactly sure. I think maybe around, um, I think it's probably the same. Yeah. I think the difference is there are quite a lot of cities, small cities along the way. You know, you've got Santander, yeah, Oviedo. Santander. Yeah. Um, you know, there, you know, even Yanez, That. So I was kind of staying in either hotels or pensions along the way. So I think that kind of jacked up my budget a little bit. Um, but I would say it's easily doable on, on 50 um, and that and that's nice and comfortable and a little extra to maybe go to a museum. Or yeah, like yeah. And and are there albergues as there are on the Camino Francis? Well, I can't compare the two, um, but I, from my experience, yes, there were always plenty of albergues. I never had to reserve ahead um well of course the municipal ones the ones run by the church or by the the local council uh you can't reserve them anyway so um but honestly there weren't enough people for you to feel stressed like you had to get there by a certain time Uh, i only had one experience where the the albergue was full one the whole time (laughs) and that was on a, a nice um coastal town and it was on the weekend so um so everything was full and i guess maybe some pilgrims started from that from that town so mm. i just found a pension it really wasn't stressful and i think i would really like to share that with others is like re- you really don't have to stress you don't have to rush there is always a bed you know um and and, and there were always plenty of options only in the smaller towns were there ever only just one albergue so did you you mentioned Santander? Did you get to the palace? Yes. <laughs> that honestly, okay. Not many people liked Santander. It was interesting. I that was my favorite day. I love that day. Um I I'd, I'd done a ridiculous unfortunate detour which added like 
seven kilometers to my day at the start, which was a bit frustrating. But then you, you, yeah. Then, but then you walk along the coast, which is, um, I think, it's becoming the new way. That they're kind of updating the way um, constantly to to get you on more scenic roads. Um, so thank you for that, whoever decided that. Uh-huh. Um, and uh, and it, oh my gosh, it, it it was so gorgeous that. The stars were aligned. The weather was perfect. The um, yeah, it, it was just a, the perfect day. I actually was able to go for a surf in just before a town called Somo. Then um, you have to walk on the beach for a good two k. So shoes are off. The feet are free. You can put your feet in the water. And then actually, a good thing to mention on the Norte, you. Um, you're not required, you can avoid them, but there are uh, official like, ferries. Like, a ferry is like an official part of the, the route. So then you catch the ferry to Santander. It takes about half an hour. I arrived and, you know, from Australia, we don't really have these grand, big, old, old ancient buildings. So Santander was really like a wow place for me. Um, I checked in and then I really wanted to walk around to the palace, but I was obviously very tired. So actually I hired a bicycle. You know, you can just like those ones that you see even in London and certainly we yeah. have them in Melbourne. Yeah, yeah. I just hired a bicycle and I cycled all around the palace. I cycled around to the the nearby beaches and it was such a great way to see the city um, without walking. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, yeah, it was stunning, really beautiful and, um, yeah, I was really glad that I, that I did that in the end. Um you know, not favoring just yeah. Um, sleeping. <laughs> yeah, no. Well, that's right. Sometimes that when you when you go outside your comfort zone a little bit, the rewards are even sweeter, aren't they? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> and, 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 we'll, we'll, and we'll get to all that. Don't worry. So let's go now. Oh no, no. I just want to talk about the the surfing. So did you hire a board? Yeah. 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 So on my first day, I hired a board in San Sebastian, which was easy peasy. When on this day that I just mentioned, the, again, the stars are aligned, I was walking past and I saw it looked like a surf school down below. Now, normally when you see a surfing beach, even in Australia, there's usually, you know, apartment blocks and cafes and restaurants. Well, this was just a cliff face, nothing, you know, and a few cars parked up on the hill. And I thought, okay, and I looked at my guidebook and, and I had made some recommendations of where to surf and this was one of them. And I thought, okay, how am I going to get aboard? And I didn't want to have to walk all the way down there and then all the way back up with my bag. And I just happened to walk past this gentleman and I just waved him over and asked him, you know, is it possible to rent a board? And he said, yeah, I've got one in the back of my car. You can you can rent it. My colleague down from the beach, he's the instructor, just let him know that you've got it and leave all your things in my car. So I, you know, trustingly left, you know, everything, passport, phone, everything oh. in the back of this guy's unlocked car. But, you know, I just, I was just feeling so like it was just, it was right, you know, it was meant to be. And so I, yeah, got the, the board, went down, had the best surf, 
and then came back up and I like very nervously opened the car door and of course everything was there you know he said to me before don't worry this is very trustworthy and um you know you're, you're safe here it's okay and then I believed him and, and, and it was and it was fine yeah so I just paid 10 euro I think for the board for two hours and on off I went <laughs> oh how lovely that sounds fantastic and and yeah and and so how do the how does the break compare how was how the surf uh well summer swells generally aren't so big which is great for me i wasn't you know i didn't have much energy so the the waves had been quite small um but they it, it, the coast is notorious for really great surf breaks and they have competitions there very frequently along oh. the whole coast so um Zuares um, near San Sebastian is a really big surfing hub, huge. Um, and they had some pretty big waves there. But for the most part, it all looked fairly gentle from from my experience. I, um, but we didn't have any wild weather or anything like that. So, so, so mm. being part of the Australian surf culture, which is, of course, mm. fantastic and an ingra- <laughs> ingrained in our psyche, was there much evidence yeah. of a Spanish surf culture? Absolutely, yeah. Particularly in um, Zurare. Oh gosh, I can never say the name. It's Zurare Zuarez when you read it in English, but I can't say it with a list. That, I'm sorry. That's okay. That's okay. You don't have to worry um, about it. Um, this town in particular, really, because um, you feel it. No one's wearing shoes. Everyone's walking around with a surfboard. Um, you know, there's families with boards. And everyone's just, it's, there's like, it's a pilgrimage to the beach, you yeah, know, it's like yeah. everyone's just walking that way. Yeah, um, so yeah. certainly, and some more than others, but I mean, these, these were the towns that were more built up. There were certainly other surfing towns that were just locals only. And, and it really did feel, um, did feel a lot like home, particularly because along with that every single day, I swear, I walked alongside eucalyptus trees. <laughs> yeah. So it really, it, it felt a lot like Australia you know, very often, um, not just not just the surf, but um, yeah, in many other ways as well. How interesting! And, and of course, yeah, the, the um, yeah the the surfers when you're actually out there, that I, I mean, maybe I wasn't surfing for enough, but there was certainly no aggression. There was no um, locals only vibe. Um, you know, they were cheering every time. I, you know, if I got a wave, I'd be like woo. And, and they'd be giving their thumbs up. And so it was all good vibes. It was, there was never any animosity for me being a yeah. You know, yeah, because, tourist. Yeah, well, well, that's right. Well, you know, that one of the things I mentioned earlier was the spiritual aspect of the surfing culture, which I think is, mm. is very powerful in my view. And yet sometimes mm. that's complete odds with what happens when you hear about people mm. being aggressive in the surf. And I think that's, you know... I, I know being a surfer yourself, you'd be very disappointed that there are people who have the tendency to behave like that, particularly mm. doing something as beautiful as surfing. Incredible. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And particularly where I live, it's, it, is a, it is very disappointing. It's, um, it's not what you'd expect and it's certainly not something that I would want visitors of Australia to go home thinking yeah. that's what it's like. Yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. Let's talk then. Let's talk then about the Primitivo. Um, mm-hmm. I'm told it's spectacular. Uh, how long yes. how long did you walk the Primitivo and where did you start and or, or, or join it and leave it? 
Well, we're actually not supposed to tell people about it because we don't want too many people on it. Um, <laughs> really? No, no, no. Well, no, well, no, well, let, well. Then let me then let me phrase the question a little differently. <laughs> How did yeah. you find those few days that you mm. between the Norte and joining up with the Francis? Um. Okay. Again, I, and I, I mean, this is coming from someone else, but I feel like I have to. The Frances joins the Primitivo, not the other way around. Oh, okay. All right. Well, the, no, 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 no. That joke, that is fantastic. Where where does it join? Okay. So um, let me answer your first question. So yeah. I uh, I started obviously I I, I left um, the Norte in Sobrayo, um, which is just before Dijon, um, and then I um, slowly made my way down to Oviedo. Now this section is very quiet because you're only on it if you're walking the Primitivo, and I found quite a few people were um, were continuing on the Norte. So. This was very quiet, this section. And then once you start Oviedo, um, I think from there it took me 11 days to make it to Santiago. And where uh, where all three Caminos meet is uh, Arthura. Yeah. Um, but I, I connected with the Frances in Melide or Melide. Ah, yeah. so, the home of Paul So that's where they all join. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, that's right. The home of the pulpo, yeah. yeah, the octopus. Exactly. So, yes. and and did you notice a big jump in the number of pilgrims once you'd reached Melide? Oh, yes, definitely. So <laughs> I've what, never seen so many people. Oh, so what gosh. did you make of it all? Because you'd had very, very much a solitary uh, Camino until yes. that point, hadn't you? Yes, uh, yes, yeah. Uh, the Primitivo I had formed a really beautiful uh, family, if you will. Um, but, yeah, I still walked alone somehow. <laughs> um, it was a shock to the system, certainly. I, But actually it made the day go really fast because all of a sudden there were so many people to observe, you know, and, and listen to their conversations and, and observe what they were wearing. And, and because this is the first time I'd seen people who were obviously having their bags transported as well. So there, there were, there was just, and, you know, there was families and people with children and, and I was just, yeah, it was quite, um, it was like a sight for sore eyes in a sense. So the day went very quickly. Um, and then my final day into Santiago, I expected it to be the same, but actually it wasn't. It was, I still somehow walked alone for a good couple of hours, um, before I met up with my family, uh, on Monte de Gotho or Gozo. And, um, and we all walked in together at from that point. Um, and that, of course, yeah, that, that's where it starts to get a bit busier as well. But it wasn't overly overly intense with people. Um, tell us about... What I expected. Yeah. Tell us about walking into the square, Santiago. Mm, oh, wow. I'll try not to get emotional. Um, yeah, so I couldn't see it from the mountain. So it didn't really feel like, yes, you knew Santiago was there and, yes, okay, I've, I've made it, this is the place. But it didn't, I was like, yes, but is it really? And then I, as you're walking through, you know, there's a little bit of urban yeah, uh, sprawl yeah, to, yeah. to get into the old old town. 
And every corner I'd turn, I'm like, is it here? Is it here? Is it here? No, no, no. And then once I saw, I think this is the right word, the spire, you know, the the um, the, the, the pointing bits of the church. Yeah, yeah. Once I saw that, I was completely overwhelmed. My breathing, I think I just, I gasped. And, yeah. and I just held my hand to my chest and... Um, had, I walked around the corner and as you walk into the plaza, I just turned my head to the left and then there it was. And of course that, you know, there's a ton of scaffolding all over the front of the facade as they're doing some, you know, repair work. But even so, I mean, really it, it, it didn't matter in the slightest. This was such an incredible feeling. I, I hugged my, my my family and um and we all just took a moment to ourselves I, I think I just kneeled down I just kneeled I just wanted to just offer everything you know I was just so so overwhelmed um and so grateful really grateful yeah to have made it yeah um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and 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 so then let me let me let me ask you something then Lexi who were you great mm. who were you grateful to Oh, wow. Um, certainly my family, my Camino family and my family back home. Yeah. Everyone cheering me on. I didn't post that many photos on Facebook, but when I did, the responses were always really, really motivating. Um, definitely grateful for my um, my boyfriend for motivating me along and my mum as well, definitely. I thought about my family a lot, like my father who passed away late last year. I was grateful to have been able to, to do that and really have plenty of time to think about him. Yeah. Um, and I, I, I'm definitely a spiritual person. I, I was raised a Christian, um, but, you know, I had quite I'd fallen away from, yeah. from the faith. But I really was very thankful to God this day. Yeah, it was... It was, it was almost like I, I, I kind of have this image of like these, these angels just watching over me. Yeah. And I really felt like I was very grateful to, to whoever these, whoever they are, who, yeah. whether it's yeah. God or someone. someone yeah. It felt like someone was watching over me for so long. I was just grateful for that. That's the spirit, you know. Yeah, that's right. And yeah, I, the, I got a sense um, and I was kind of grateful for the peace. Mm, oh, gosh, yeah. Absolutely. And, and again, I've said many times on this Camino that it sometimes feels like a very selfish thing to do. Um, oh, yes. To allow yourself the ability to find that peace. Mm. It is, isn't Gosh, it? Yeah. It is, isn't it? And, and when you fall, fall to your knees, I mean, I, I just, yeah. I, I've said many times I, I sat and cried like a, like a little girl. I, I yeah. was just <laughs> gibbering, blubbering idiot. Yes. And, and that, yes. But that finding that peace... I just was overwhelmed with the with the relief, if you like, of having the opportunity yes. to find that peace. And, and um, in, yeah, go on. So no, sorry, no, sorry. Uh, interestingly enough, I I didn't feel that in Santiago, but I absolutely felt that in Finisterre. Right. Uh, this place, this place was the real peaceful moment. Yeah, I had yeah. never felt so happy, and there was not one thing that I could feel, I couldn't feel happy about. The, the Finisterre was the true place. Santiago for me is, felt just emotional because 
uh, I was exhausted and having to say goodbye to everyone. This, this is the memory that I had of it upon arriving and then leaving it the day after. I didn't stay too long. But walking again, three, and also I wasn't ready. I wasn't ready, which I'm sure you <laughs> felt. I wasn't ready to stop being a pilgrim. Um, I knew that the day that you arrive in Santiago, and this is definitely a word for anyone who's about to walk, just make the most of that day because that day you are a pilgrim. You have made it. Even like don't rush to go and shower. Just just be stinky for the day because <laughs> you, you you earned it. You know, you earned that feeling. And people people respect you. I mean, there's pilgrims everywhere. It's not like you're a, a sore thumb, you know. It's, a, it's, it's your day because the next day, the day that you shower or even that night, you're a tourist in a city in, in a sense. And I know that's really kind of, a bit cynical to say, but it's kind of true. You're not recognised so much. But um, so so I kind of have this in the back of my mind. It's like, no, I'm not ready. I'm not ready to to give this up. And walking the extra three days to to Finisterre and just seeing that zero-kilometre mark and seeing the ocean again for the first time after two weeks, I just had this huge breath of fresh air. And you're right, it was so peaceful and I felt so calm, so at ease and so, so again, so grateful. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. Wow. That's a great story. That is a great, yeah. great story. So, yeah. I, I read somewhere this week that you have a love of travel. Where do you think that yes. love came from, Lexi? Wow. Uh, I. Okay, yes, I know. Um, when I turned 18, I did a gap year to, uh, to Vietnam to teach English. Well, this wasn't my first choice. I wanted to go to America and do like a summer school oh, yeah. camp or yeah. something or, yeah. go, or go to England and, and do some sport thing. No, I, you, they, they tell you what you're going to do. You, don't, you put options in and then they tell you. So I got v- teaching English in Vietnam. Well, of course I was devastated. Like um, I grew up in Newcastle in New South Wales, so this is like this is a very strange country to me coming from it had never left Australia um and so but I did it and um and I it was it was the most incredible experience of my life it made me who I am today and I met lifelong friends doing it and I still catch up with them um even to this day so and I think after after the teaching experience we went traveling together throughout Southeast Asia there was about six of us other teachers and um and ever since then I I absolutely have the travel bug I can't keep my feet still I I just um I'm fascinated by everything (laughs) food um, cultures and um and I think my my family is very accepting of that and encouraging so that kind of helps. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, well, my listeners from outside Australia perhaps would not be familiar with what's called the Kokoda Trail. Australian troops mm. fighting the Japanese in World War II walked a treacherous mm. path across the mountains of New Guinea. And it's now a very popular walk. And you did it, Lexi. How does it yes. compare to the, how does the Camino compare to Kokoda? Ah, very different. Uh, they're chalk and cheese to me. Um, the, for starters, Kokoda is in the jungle. You're you're dealing with humidity, rain, and mud every day. It rained basically every day on the uh, on Kokoda for me. 
uh, in the afternoon, usually once the, the tents were about to be set up, you know, naturally. <laughs> <laughs> Just as you wanted to set the tent up, that's when the rain would start. Yeah, that, that was good. Um, and, and, and it had a totally different um, feel for me because I not once thought about my identity as Australian walking the Camino, but I certainly did on Kokoda. I really felt this intense um, gratitude um, learning more about the history in Papua New Guinea and, and of course, the, you know, the Fuzzy Wuzzy Angels, which you'll probably be better at explaining than me. Um, but, you know, obviously these are, these are the incredible individuals who helped Australian soldiers. Mm, the, um, the Papua New Guinea locals who, who yes, risked yes. their lives to save Australian lives save. and we That's still right. are very, very much in, in, in gratitude. We owe a great deal of gratitude to the Fuzzy Wuzzy Angels as they were known. Yes, it's, exactly. It's a great story. You've hiked also Machu Picchu. How does the Camino Machu compare? Picchu. Yeah, how does it compare with Western <laughs> South America, the Camino? <laughs> um, Machu Picchu was challenging in so many ways because of the altitude. So I, I, I found this challenging, but uh, it was very rewarding because. I really love Spanish culture and I love Spanish food. So, so this obviously, so this, um, this, this aspect of it was, was really comforting, I guess. The actual hike was challenging. The terrain was challenging, but, um, uh, arriving in Machu Picchu at sunrise was real. Yeah, that was really, it was special, but I, I can't, I can't even think about it now. It feels so long ago. Yeah, um, yeah. And so, even though it was really just two years ago. <laughs> yeah, and I think after uh, walking the Camino, you're most probably subconsciously trying to process all of that. Oh, yes. So much. So, <laughs> so much going let, on. let's talk about I mean, you've only just finished it days ago. Let's talk some nuts and yeah. bolts, if I could. How much did your pack weigh? Oh, I wish I knew. I think I started with around nine. So far too heavy. Um, I met this incredible Spanish man on day two from Logroño who offered to take my some of my things for me and then post them to Madrid once I finished, which he did do. I can't believe it. So I think in total with water and food, it was probably seven or eight. Oh, seven seven that- and eight, eight with food. It's too much. It's too much. But I think my pack was um, quite heavy to start with. Ah, yeah, 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 because yeah, of, yeah, yeah. Because of the technology. But I, maybe maybe it was seven. I think maybe I'm overdoing it. I can't really think. But I'm, I really had bare bones, if I'm telling you yeah. truthfully. Yeah. I, um, yeah, I didn't have too much excessive thing. Um, I think the toiletries are the things that, that weigh the most um, on my, from, for me. Toiletries in my first aid kit. So, oh, okay. So you mentioned water. Is there water readily available on the Camino del Norte? Absolutely. I never had any issues and I never bought bottled water. Never. Okay. So how hot was it? Yeah. Oh, um, <clears throat> I have to tell you again, I had a lot of rain. So even though you think, oh, north coast of Spain in June, July, oh, you'll, you'll have the best tan going around. No, 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 no. It <laughs> rained <laughs> so That's much. Funny. It rained so much. Um, so, yeah, okay, I think at the first two weeks we had a beautiful heat wave um, and then from there it just kind of got a little bit 
dreary. And then on the Primitivo, it was certainly a lot of rain. And then even walking out to Finisterre, I think I had some rain. So I, I don't know if I just got unlucky or I, I just also think this is Galicia, the, the region. It is prone. Yeah. I think the north of Spain is prone prone to rain because yeah. I saw on the map that everywhere south of Madrid was in the high 30s and we were in low 20s. So it wasn't as hot as you think. And how did you cope then walking in the rain? Oh, I hated it. <laughs> well, that's interesting um, because really that would be, if you hated it so much, then it would have been a, an even more rewarding challenge. Challenging. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. I, it's funny, a lot of um, people that I met found the, the cloudy and overcast days really motivating because there wasn't so much of a zap from the sun. I yeah, was the I complete see opposite. When yeah. the sun came out, I had so much energy. You know, the, I had a day, you won't believe this, I had a day walking to Finisterre where it was really rainy in the morning but then the sun came out at 4 and I ended up walking, because of how nice the day was, I ended up walking 57 kilometres. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> oh, my God. It was ridiculous. But I was just, my feet, everything was fine. Everything, I don't know whether, I, I think I was eager to to just get to the coast, but my body was fine. Everything was just powering on and the sun was just completely just providing me with so much energy. So, yeah. And, and, and so overall, how were your feet, your knees, your back? How did everything go for the, for the whole journey, um, the 30 days? Again, um, I was very lucky, Dan, very lucky. Um, I didn't have any problems with anything south uh, or north of my ankles. Um, my heels got a few blisters, but really when I see and hear about other people's, I shouldn't even mention that. Yeah. Um, I, I just was good at prevention. So as soon as I even saw like the tiniest little, tiniest little dot, I'd just wrap it straight away, you know? And so I used a lot of tape, uh, on my heels. But other than that, honestly, I shouldn't even be talking about it. <laughs> I have nothing <laughs> and, to complain about. <laughs> and, and so you talked then about um, your first aid kit and, and uh, had you done a lot of preparation before you went? Had you done a lot of training? Were you walking a lot before you left? Yes, I'd walked a lot before I'd left. So I'd, I was very, um, very prepared physically. Also knowing that the Norte and Primitivo were quite challenging, um, hill-wise, which they were. <laughs> um, so, yes, I was very well prepared. My first aid kit now isn't too – I mean, I have hydrolytes, deep heat, um, and, if, and I took – oh, this is a good tip. I took a lot of magnesium, which is really good for muscles. So I was taking magnesium tablets. They're just um, natural um, at the end of like the big days so that, um, you know, I didn't, cause I never really woke up the next day feeling really sore from the day before. That's um, interesting. So I'm going to, and I think, yeah, I think I'm magnesium, Lexi, sorry, I talked over you there, but I think it's magnesium is also very good for cramp or preventing cramp. Cramps, yeah, and sleeping, yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Now, look, I, I wanted to ask you, uh, you walked alone. Did you feel safe yes. on the Camino Norte? Mm, there were definitely some times where I felt a bit, it was a bit sketchy. Pati uh, yeah, particularly when we were walking through the forests, I definitely had no 
uh, earplugs in. You know, I did. I had my head, my headphones in on those sections. I was very in tune with sounds. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I felt completely safe. I didn't have any issues. No, no encounters. No spooky or creepy people. Nothing whatsoever. But I know it does happen. So I think be smart. Be um, aware and also walk at the you know, popular times. I think there was twice. Um, oh, one, the, the, the most scared I think I was was a morning that I started walking at 4 a.m. It was pitch black. The reason, there's a good reason for this. There were these three French women and they snored the entire <laughs> night and I didn't get any sleep. <laughs> and so I, I just said, oh, I give up. And so I just started walking. And so I had my flashlight, but, yeah, it started off in the woods and then I got to like a highway and I almost felt like that was a little bit more creepy. And But I... Um, I just stopped and listened and, and tried not to panic and stress, which is definitely something that I've learned from the ocean as well. So maybe it's a bit full circle. Um, yeah. And if I needed to, I'd just like maybe call home or something just yeah. to have someone to talk to. to yeah, and feel yeah. reassured. So yeah. o- so overall, can I ask you, Lexi, what do you think you learned about yourself by doing the Camino? Hmm. Good question. Um, I honestly, I can't tell you. Ask me in a year. Ask me in a year. That's a very time. good answer. That's actually a very good answer. And and um, and how? Well, yeah. let, then let me let me ask you this. Then, how will you explain the Camino to people when you get home? Um, I I guess I would I would explain it by saying you know, watch the movie, watch the way, read a book if you're interested because there are so many. I think I read like ten books or something. I read so many books. Yeah. Um, uh, and that will give you a good idea. My experience was very different to all of the experiences that I read, so I wouldn't want to like say this was this is how it's going to be, you know. So I'd try not to. Um, taint anyone's view. I, I think my experience was, um, uh, yeah, I, I, really, uh, like, I think what? I would explain it by saying, it, 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 yeah, every day, every day was a somersault. Every day it would start good and then end poorly. And I think I learned a lot about myself in that way, how to deal with that, you know, so... Yeah. Oh gosh. I really I can't answer it. I'm sorry. That's that's all right. <laughs> no, that's all right. Hard. Well, let me ask you this. Will you return? Yeah. Oh. I don't think so. I, I don't although all of my family are now saying that they want to walk, so um you never know. I it was so special. I have such good memories, particularly of the last week. Um and so I I'd hate to do it again and then compare. Yeah, um, yeah, that's valid. But if I did it again, I would probably do a different route, maybe the English or mm-hmm. the uh, Portuguese yeah. or the Le, the Le Puy, yeah. or maybe one in Italy or, or France. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think that might be a separate a, way. a separate Camino, yeah. And one final question, yeah. Lexi, because you've been yeah. so kind with mm-hmm. your time. What advice would you give <laughs> to someone considering walking the Camino de Santiago? Okay, I would like to answer this in two 
question, uh, two answers if possible. Yeah. Firstly, um, and I this came to me at the start, and I, I definitely believe it's still at the end, the hardest thing about deciding to walk the Camino, the hardest thing about the whole Camino actually is deciding to do it, honestly, saying, yes, I'm going to do it. That is the hardest thing to do. Everything else, it just happens. It's fine. You, you'll make it. You're alive. You know, you, it, nothing terrible is going to happen. You're in Spain. There isn't um, a hospital too far away if there's an emergency or your family is just a phone call away. Making the decision and, and committing the time to do it, that is the hardest part, truly. Um, and the second um, thing I would say if someone asked me, you know, should I or why should I do it? Um, I read this quote by T.S. Eliot. It came to me while I was on the journey. And if I can read it, it says, uh, what we call the beginning is often the end. And to make an end is to make a beginning. The end is where we start from. And wow, <laughs> this just this just rolled around in my head for weeks and weeks and weeks. And I would probably offer that quote to someone to really think about that before going um, because it really summed up the journey for me and it, and it kind of would prepare someone. I think it would prepare them for well, I think, to come. I think in reading that quote, you just answered the two questions before that you couldn't answer. Mm, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> and, and I know... I know the Camino has a powerful presence in my life and I'm going back later this year and I know its presence mm -hmm. will live strong in your life too, Lexi. So mm. thank you so much yeah. for your time and thank you for sharing your thank story. You. You've been very, very honest. It's been fantastic talking to you. And you. What? Thank you. I would love to grab a coffee with you sometime in Sydney. Be Absolutely. Great. We will do that for certain, <laughs> I guarantee. Buen Camino oh, and safe travels getting all the way home to Bronte. Thank you, Dan. Thank you so much. Thank Appreciate you, Lexi. Bye-bye now. Bye-bye. Alexi Connors there, a Sydney-based pilgrim who has just finished the Camino del Norte, the pilgrimage across the north of Spain. That's all we have time for this week. I'll be back again next week with more Pilgrim's Tales. And there are more than 25 to listen to from the archive as well. They don't age, so I urge you to go back and listen to all of them. Many inspiring and interesting stories from all over the world. Remember Jules Verne? Phileas Fogg having shut the door of his house at half past 11 and having put his right foot before his left 575 times and his left foot before his right 576 times reached the Reform Club. One foot in front of the other. We'll get there. I'm Dan Mullins and until next week, Buen Camino. Buen Camino.